0: You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit, Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozikov, global marketing lead at win by night and product manager and university-level faculty by day. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Win Win Podcast. We have had so many phenomenal guests this season, and I find myself learning so much from these conversations, and I hope that you are too. I literally went back and listened to this episode again and again and took notes because Janelle James, who is a senior vice president at Ipsos, which is the world's third largest market research company, has so many insights about innovation and marketing and research, and even college applications, as she is a Harvard MBA graduate after all. This is going to sound so cheesy, but one of my biggest takeaways is to not judge a book by its cover. You know, at Women in Innovation, we have always asked ourselves, who is our audience, because we want to close the gender gap in a specific industry and really help the people who need our help. And so we've identified innovation industries as the startup ecosystem, as innovation consultancies, and innovation roles in Fortune 500 companies. And that's what we focus our podcast on, that's what we focus our programming and learning cohorts on, as well as the other content that we create. And so when looking at Janelle's background, she frankly didn't fit into this definition of innovation. But I was so intrigued and so interested in her work That I decided to invite her to join me today anyway. And I have to say that while there are innovation functions and innovation specific roles, Janelle is a true testament that innovation is also a mindset. It's a way of thinking and a way of applying whatever it is that you are doing into your work. I'm so excited for you to get to know Janelle from this episode. She's so brilliant, and I hope that you can bring back the learnings she shares to your industries and how you think of innovation. I know the way that I think about it has changed simply as a result of this episode. And it's moments like this that really keep me going, working on this podcast. So, without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Win Win Podcast.
1: Uh, thank you so much, Zoya. Glad to be here. Really
0: excited. Yes, me too. And, you know, I know it will take way more than the span of this podcast to uncover and discuss your 21 years in the marketing and consumer research industry. <laughs> but I guess the bottom line question really is, what's made you stay in this industry? And what is it about it that has excited you and excites you today?
1: Yeah, I think at the core of it is that marketing is really about connecting with people. And people evolve, people change. And the- Issues that we tackle at any given point in time, and the opportunities for brands at any given point in time, are incredibly fascinating. Um, the first brand that I ever worked on was McDonald's, and I actually chose that. I was interning with Leo Burnett mm-hmm. back in the summer of 1999, and I chose that because it was just really familiar. You know, it was the first brand that I loved, <laughs> right? Um, as a kid, and it just felt like really satisfying to be able to create something and then two seconds later, see it on TV, or, mm-hmm. you know, see it merchandised in a store. And so it was incredibly relatable. And I think that's what keeps me here, that the opportunities are to connect and create for people just like us, and whether it's McDonald's or a pharmaceutical company. Um, now I'm leading Um, media and tech sector at the firm that I'm with. And so, you know, whether it's firms, you know, you name it, the opportunities are just really interesting and really relatable um, Mm -hmm. and give us an opportunity to help others, quite honestly.
0: Yeah, and I think to that point, brands and companies and marketing has changed so much since 1999. I mean, I know that there are (laughs) the obvious ways. But, you know, for you, what have been the biggest changes in the role of marketing and brands, you know, since you began your career?
1: Well, what's interesting is that the tools are very different, right? Like, you know, it's so funny, because I don't think of myself as that dated. and, And I think the work that I do keeps me really connected to mm-hmm. you know what it is we're experiencing in any given point in time but the tools are different the internet didn't really exist in, like right, we yeah. still we still wrote memos back then and there definitely wasn't any social media you know mm-hmm. i i remember joining Facebook. Um, And that was before it was public, it was still, you know, connected to universities. And as a Harvard alum, I was probably one of the first people that weren't technically, you know, on campus that joined. And so, um, you know, the tools that we're using are different. But I think the opportunity is still very much the same, you know, Mm -hmm. to connect with people and, and, and keep people at the center. You know, I remember so early on, some of the things that we would often talk about, Is, um, you know, you'd have like a lineup of agencies, you have advertising agency, your digital agency, your retail agency, your PR agency, your media agency, Mm -hmm. you name it. And all of us were getting together to create work for a brand campaigns or whatever it is. And you know, the thing then that people sometimes struggled with was like digital was becoming everything, Sure. <laughs> right? And so there was so much overlap and, and infighting, quite honestly, because once you came into the digital realm, it's like, well, is this PR or is this media? Or, well, is right. this advertising or is this retail? Like, what is this, right? And today, what's really fascinating for me, I think of diversity and inclusion like I think of digital. It's everything, and it should be part of everything and it should inspire everything because at the center we're people. And this is just another way to connect, include, elevate like digital, so to speak. I started my career working
0: in the retail luxury sector, and I remember thinking, wow, so much of this is honestly outdated, and that wasn't that long ago. And it was like these companies that were refusing to go digital and saying, we're not going to put our yeah. stuff up on the internet. And now it's like, you don't take a digital role. You take a role, and that role you is inherently role. digital. <laughs> yes, you exactly, know? Like-
1: exactly, exactly, exactly.
0: And you mentioned, you know, diversity and inclusion, and I know know that you've taken on diversity and inclusion roles in various capacities in the organizations that you worked and work for, as well as outside of them. So what has actually been most surprising to you in this work, and and what would you want others
1: to know about it that they perhaps don't? Um, I think it connects to people, again. I think it's really hard sometimes for people to put themselves in other people's shoes and what it might Mm -hmm. be like. For me... You know The journey that I've had even before my professional journey, so as a little bit of background, my parents are from Guyana, South America. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Brooklyn. Um, The household that I grew up in was very much Guyanese, but the world that I navigated was very much American, right? Mm -hmm. And so at a very early age, I learned to understand the differences and the nuance in culture and navigate different cultures. And Guyana in and of itself is very diverse because there's six ethnic groups there. And so that's like a lesson or a learning that I took into what I did academically. By the time I started the seventh grade, I moved from a predominantly black public school to a predominantly white private independent school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Absolutely loved my middle school and high school. But again, it was more lessons on navigating a culture and an environment that was very unlike, you know, what I'd done before. Same thing when I went to Harvard. Same thing. (laughs) When you got to corporate America. When I got to corporate America. But one of the things that really allowed me to build the most, I think, empathy and understanding, because a lot of what I was doing felt very natural to me, was um, two years into my work experience at Leo Burnett, I got the opportunity to work abroad and ended up spending four years working in Italy. And I didn't know very much Italian before I got there. But It was very interesting to be immersed in a culture, in an office environment, in a new world where almost nothing about me was in a position of power, not my language, not my, you know, Everything that I used as a tool to navigate my world, I I couldn't really use. Like, yes, they knew I was smart, and yes, they knew I had, you know, McDonald's experience or advertising experience or Harvard degree, exactly. But I would rely on like my humor as a way to like manage culture. And it's like, oh my god, I can't tell a real joke in Italian because people Mm -hmm. think I'm crazy. (laughs) You know, Google Translate, (laughs) (laughs) basically. Yeah, and so you know, I think that was a really interesting experience for me because it really made me more empathetic um, and Mm -hmm. really made me think about what it's like to be on the margin even if you know you you have all the the goods or all of the things that can make you really successful but just because you're not in the i hate to say this in the majority what's what that's like and there were definitely advantages as the only american as someone with you know global experience i had a lot more visibility but in a lot of ways i didn't have a lot of power and privilege and i think that helped me think about you know how i navigate the workplace um in a different way in a unique way and i i bring that with me in my work now
0: when you think about innovation a lot of the times innovation fails because it's homogenous right and so how have you thought about bridging the gaps between some of those communications and assimilating versus being the voice
1: in the room that's different being the one that's
0: questioning the norms yeah
1: so one of the things I've done in sort of my marketing services career is be a qualitative researcher where I um, conduct research with people and talk to them you know focus groups um one-to-one interviews, in-home interviews, shop-alongs, all types of things. And the interesting thing about that, like, you know, any sort of connection you might have in the workplace, is that you really quickly have to find out what you have in common with someone to drive that conversation. And it could be anything. And so sometimes it might be um, my education. Sometimes it might be um, some sort of shared experience. You know, Mm -hmm. we both had our gallbladders removed. I don't know. (laughs) Sometimes it might be, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to someone the other day about my experience and my expertise in terms of connecting with people. And, you know, if they needed, I'm making this up, let's say a moderator for an African-American or a, a black uh, a study with Black Americans, I think visually everyone would be like, oh, Janelle's a great choice, right? Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, let's say, Hispanic or Latinx people, is Janelle a good choice? Well, I'm my I'm uh, part of an immigrant family you know so I can identify with immigrants same thing with Asian Americans and so I think you figure out what it is that is that point of connection it could be gender it could be race it could be sexuality it could be ethnicity it could be Mm -hmm. an immigrant experience it could be language education Um, and so you figure out what it is that you, you can use to connect with someone and everyone has almost something right
0: yeah yeah I I, actually, it's so funny that you said that, because as you were describing your experience, I couldn't help think about, honestly, my own (laughs) experiences as as Russian-Israeli moving to this country. But at the same time, you know, I have white privilege. I haven't experienced what you've experienced. But it's really interesting because there is that, I guess, intersectionality. And I know that that's something that, you know, our guests and our listeners are really curious about something that you've spoken about. I think people do not quite know or understand or what to do with that intersectionality mm-hmm. as far as acknowledging it but also yeah. as far as implementing that understanding into everyday business or innovation practices so what would you say to those innovation and business leaders listening and what would you say to those that grapple with their intersectionality
1: in the course of their life and career so you know the at the core of the question is like how you approach innovation and then with respect to internex- intersectionality. And so, how I think about approaching innovation, it's always usually about research. I'm from a very young age, I love research. I think talking to people, understanding dynamics um, is really interesting. And then I always like to layer that on with a diverse perspective because it, mm-hmm. at the core of like every challenge, you're going to, you know, bias is human nature. It's it's human. And so you're going to think about a challenge rooted in your own experience. Right. And so when you do your research, you have to make sure to include diverse perspectives, because that's what's really gonna, I think, make something truly innovative. You know, one of the things I was chatting about with a friend the other day is that innovation oftentimes isn't a totally novel idea. It's an idea from another sector, another area, another culture applied in a new context. Like an analog, yeah. Yeah, and so it's really fascinating that way because, you know, it's the same way that I think about intersectionality. I think particularly with the research part of it, you know, or the marketing part of it, businesses, leaders, you know, it's important to force yourself to get perspective from people who are not in the dominant area of whatever you're thinking about. Like, so, you know, when we're sampling for research, oftentimes I have to encourage clients to think more broadly, you know, Mm -hmm. remember that the general market is diverse. When we think about Gen Z, they're almost 50%, you know, people of color anyway. And then depending on which part of the country you're in, like California, it might be 60%. And so making sure you get those diverse perspectives because, It not only helps you land on a truly universal idea and a universal opportunity, but you can tell a really relevant, I think, and compelling story when you do that. Something random that that comes to mind in this respect, when I um, was applying to business school... That whole process of like writing essays, very introspective and reflective. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember I was living in in Italy at the time, so I was in Milan, and I remember going to an HBS event, and it had um, lots of prospective students like myself, but there were also alums, and I think someone's from the admissions committee. I ended up talking to a woman who had just moved to Milan from the UK, from London, and she was an alum. And we got into a great conversation, and she said the most interesting thing to me. She was like, "You know, if you want someone to, to read your essays, I'll, I'll read them for you." And I was like, "Of course, I would. I would love that." And so this woman, she read my essays, and she gave me a call, and she said, um, "Janelle, I would love to talk to you and give you some feedback. Do you think we could meet in person to do this?" And I was like, "Sure." So she actually Uh-oh. came. To, yeah, she actually came to my house, and she said to me, "In." A lot of these essays, you talk about the fact that you're black and you're from Brooklyn. And she's like, I don't even know what that means. Can you can you help me understand? Because I know they're like they're like these word counts. But when you say you're black and you're from Brooklyn, she's like, you have to make sure that someone like me can understand that and I and something really clicked in my mind because I was like here I am using a shorthand where I'm thinking it's universal Mm -hmm. and it's not Not and so exactly and so the advice I gave to everyone after that with their essays was make sure you find someone who's the opposite of you to read your essays so that you know you're getting perspective You know, so if you're Black and in marketing, you find someone who's Asian and in finance or Mm -hmm, or whatever, mm -hmm, like whatever you think the opposite is to give you the most diverse perspective on that. And I think the same is true with any market. I mean, because those essays, I was marketing myself, right? So Mm -hmm. any marketing challenge that you have, any brand has a marketing challenge, it really is important. Whoever's doing the work, make sure, you know, if your team composition is very homogenous, you make sure your agency partners are not homogenous, you know, and find ways to interrupt bias and interrupt those, you know, natural shortcuts that a human being might make in your process. And from a research perspective, that can happen with the team composition, that can happen with how you think about recruiting, how you think about asking people questions, I mean, Mm -hmm. any number of ways.
0: Yeah, and I also think a lot of the times, even though, of course, brands are focused on selling something or Mm -hmm. whatever version of that, I think people forget that communication, marketing, but also, of course, innovation is a two-way conversation. You don't put something out there for the sake of it. You put something out there to change a process, to exactly. you know change a conversation, whatever that may be. To help but, people, yeah, totally. And so. I do think oftentimes when we look at research, though, we look back to see what has been done before or what are the perceptions, the current perceptions Mm -hmm. around something. But when you're thinking of creating something brand new, something truly innovative, what is your approach to researching (coughs) something that doesn't
1: yet exist or maybe doesn't resonate with customers today? Great question. Literally about a year ago, a colleague asked me, where do you think bias lives in the research process? And before I could answer the question, she said, it's in recruiting, right? And I was like, well, it's bias. It's in everything. And she's Mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? And she's like, I want you to put it down on paper for me. Because she's like, I can't really (laughs) process what you're saying. She's (laughs) like, put it down on paper. So I literally made this framework, right, that starts with every element of the research process, um, the team composition, briefing and proposals, recruiting, questionnaire development, fieldwork and observation, analysis, reporting. And then I literally created a, que- a list of considerations and things you should do. So to your question, you know, and that's really at the briefing proposal stage, mm-hmm. you literally ask the question, one of the considerations is, are we leveraging or should we leverage perspective from past initiatives? Because oftentimes that is the starting point. right? But it shouldn't be the starting point. And even when you're doing research, are the methods that we're using – conducive to illuminating what we potentially want to learn from this target that we may never have spoken to before. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I think it's really being proactive um, and interrupting bias um, or the potential for it when you have those conversations to, to, to decide what information is relevant for this new opportunity. And you might discover that what you have already is not relevant at all.
0: Right. And even those processes, as you mentioned, the way that they are asking the questions and what they oh, expect is totally. already biased and rooted totally. in, in
1: non-inclusive practices. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. I mean, as a as a researcher or someone who works in market research, you know, I see a lot of surveys just as a consumer, mm-hmm, as a person, mm-hmm. you know, I have friends who are, you know, having webinars and afterwards they'll send a satisfaction survey and it's like... <laughs> You know, and a lot of times they're using free tools, right, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. don't give them the opportunity to, you know, put an open end on every question. And they might not necessarily think about how they're asking the question or Mm -hmm. how they're phrasing the multiple choice responses. But one of the, the, the tips or keys I think that is really important is always give the respondent an out, you know always give them an out because your question might assume something that you don't even know that you're doing that you know right. there's bias potentially in every question that you ask so mm-hmm. always give them an out to not choose one of the choices and say something different you know mm-hmm. even in the way i found asking questions when i'm interviewing someone one to one for a project or even in a focus group i say what if anything you know xyz you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how, if at all, did you blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, when you ask the question, you can assume that they're doing the thing, they've done the thing, they enjoyed the thing, and they might not have at all.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the net promoter score, not to hate on it. But like, I do think it assumes a lot of things. And oftentimes, you're like, recommending this product I haven't even like really had time (laughs) to think about this product also like this is my job I don't care
1: (laughs) exactly like do they care enough the other thing is people have very limited time and limited attention spans and if you're going to give them five questions to answer you want to make sure you're getting something valuable back because they might just get frustrated and not even answer it
0: Yeah, and also, like, people care about different things. I had um, one of the product leads at Asana, the project management company here, and I was like, I talk about your product all the time. And even she was like, really? Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's like everybody's interests are so so different. Um, I I mentioned this maybe a little bit before to you, but um, in my own background, I've actually transitioned away from marketing. I I spent some years in digital advertising Mm -hmm. and marketing, and the truth is uh, it was because a lot of the organizations organizations that i worked at were really siloed marketing and brand from developing and innovating the product which retrospectively i think was just definitely not everyone's experience um, but you've worked and work at very large companies and have had large-scale clients so what role do you see
1: marketing play at all stages of the innovation cycle it's it's a- Really interesting question. And it's a really big question. And I would say it de- it depends on the organization. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I hate to give, <laughs> to give an answer like that, but it really depends because for some organizations, they're really led by marketing, right? Right. Yeah those are typically not retail organizations who Mm -hmm, are typically mm -hmm. led by, you know, sales and merchandising. Um, And then when you think about tech companies, oftentimes they're led by product groups, right? Yeah. Um, So it really depends on the type of company. And I think it also depends on the culture of the company as well. Sure. I would also say even the definition of marketing. You know, for me, the definition of marketing is connecting with people and helping them understand how whatever you're bringing to the market is relevant, Mm
0: -hmm. compelling,
1: unique. And so whether you do that primarily from a sales perspective, whether you do that primarily from, you know, a communications perspective, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: whether you do that by wowing them with a user experience, to really answer your question, you need to understand the organization that you're in and then understand how to leverage the, their connection with people. Sure. it's, it's Yeah, that's a, it's a fuzzy one.
0: <laughs> no, I get it because I'm always reading books about product management and, like, advancing mm-hmm. product management because, like I said, the majority of my career, about five years of my career, yeah. were spent in marketing, and so I feel like a total – intern at my job at all times because I'm just brand new and so yeah. it's something that they say it's the same thing right like Apple is a company that's driven by design so while you mm-hmm. may be the product manager it's really the design team that's yeah. going to define the innovation in, in the product and there you're just like working with a team to make it happen yeah. whereas at your company's marketing is the product and therefore the innovation lies in your hands
1: yeah so at a professional service firm yeah my professional journey went from advertising to consulting to PR to research. And so even in terms of your connection with marketing, it's very different in each one of those firms. And Mm -hmm. then depending on the clients that I'm working with, it's also very different. So for instance, you know, at P&G, marketing is really general management.
0: Thinking about all of the external factors as we consider innovating marketing research and marketing strategy as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen that change so much. And even with COVID, I've had, you know, true researchers that are spending all their time researching in their jobs say how their industry has been has been changed. And you're kind of at that intersectionality of research and marketing. Mm -hmm. So what would you say are the largest agents or drivers of change that affect or you think will affect your
1: work down the line? I'd come back to people. And so, for instance, you know, last summer was really interesting, you know, with the social justice movement brought on by the murder of George Floyd. right? So many companies had a greater interest in diversity and inclusion internally, but also externally. You know, oh, we now need to make sure we're considering Black mm-hmm. Americans in our marketing. We now need to be more diverse. Um, and so it's whatever is important to people at that given point in time I think Mm -hmm. determines what the focus is um yeah
0: yeah I agree and I also think the perception of what diversity is has has changed drastically (laughs) I can I I was reading the all the articles coming out about the quote-unquote girl boss movement and Mm -hmm. how you know a lot of people saw that as really really racist frankly because the image of girl boss was this white well educated woman mm-hmm. that wasn't concerned with diversity because she was concerned with feminism really ignoring that intersectionality so yeah. you know how have you seen that play out you know across the market and in your own career
1: so two things about that are really interesting i think the history of of feminism has always been about leaving out yeah. <laughs> or not prioritizing yeah white women Um, But the same thing with civil rights, you know, Mm -hmm. it's always been about prioritizing black people as opposed to, you know, black women. I think one of um, and not to say one is more important than the other, but I think it's important to acknowledge that no group is a monolith.
0: And And if you're leaving somebody out, then you're saying the opposite.
1: Yes. So from a research perspective, I think, you know, intersectionality, the conversations that I work to have, have, try to have with a lot of my partners and, and and clients at this stage, it's really about making sure that we take an inclusive approach to how we think about the sample. So for instance, you know, I remember having a conversation with a colleague uh, a number of months ago. And for this particular brand, they wanted to recruit Black Americans. They wanted to have LGBTQ plus in the sample, they wanted to have women in the sample. But what's really interesting, so then I had to ask the follow-up questions, right? How are we filling these, and I don't want to say quotas, but how are we filling these samples, right? Mm-hmm. Because when someone, so I was like, because we could have a black person, it could be all black people. Yeah, it <laughs> could, could be all three, exactly. Yep. And, but when people imagine, to your point, when they imagine, you know, LGBTQ+, plus, oftentimes what first comes to mind is a gay man. You sure. Know, when they yeah. imagine a woman first, oftentimes what comes to mind is a white woman. Right. Right. And so really having a conversation about making sure we achieve a certain level of inclusion or a certain mix and having these conversations up front. I think that's really important. Um, and then making sure we pull out any differing perspective in the analysis. Um, so a lot of it is Again, I think interrupting bias where it can potentially exist at every right. part of the process to ensure that that becomes top of mind. I think other solutions, making sure you use qualitative research that mm-hmm. allows you to bring out any of the, the nuance in people's motivations, behavior, culture that you might not necessarily see in the surface and see from, um, you know, quantitative data. Making sure people understand and sort of embrace the fact that no group is a monolith. You know, if all Mm -hmm. the Black people look the same, you know, you don't have any immigrants in there. You don't have a mix of gender, of sexuality, of skin color, then you don't really have a representative group of Black people. But the same Mm -hmm. thing for any other group of people, right?
0: And that's where I see actually marketing being the innovation or one of the ways where, you know, to your point, when we think about a woman, oftentimes somebody may think of a white woman. And I think it's marketing's job and role to actually change those perceptions through communication and other means. But, yeah, so much to uncover there.
1: I was reading the other day that Dove is changing um, descriptions in all of their beauty products. They have something like, what, 200 beauty products, Mm -hmm. and they're no longer using the word normal like normal skin. Wow. Because what is normal skin, right? Yeah. And it reminds me of like Crayola crayons. When I was in elementary school, there was a flesh colored crayon. It literally said flesh and it was peach. And, you know, as a kid. I remember you, that. You look at like, this is not my skin. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. it's not my flesh. Right. Um, but now we're, you know, people making decisions are thinking in a more inclusive way and trying to mm-hmm. interrupt that bias so that products feel more relevant. So I guess before
0: I let you go, I'd love to ask you one more question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10
1: years from now? It's a good question. Um, One month from now. Well, what's really interesting, I just started a a new job about a month ago. Oh, (laughs) exciting. So So I'm two months in. So in terms of myself, One of the things that I absolutely love, and and even for my industry, I think thought leadership is such a great opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So as I onboard myself, as the team helps to onboard me and I just sort of get acclimated to everything, I think, you know, obviously lots of conversation, but finding ways to share great and new perspective and learn Mm -hmm. great and new perspective. And I think in the industry, you know, the pandemic and the switch to virtual has made it very easy um, for people to connect and collaborate across great distances. I mean, what you can do in terms of conversation and um, highlighting a particular topic. It's just so much, so much easier in this environment right. where you don't actually have to show up in a physical place. And so I do think one month from now, I see that being just greater thought leadership around some of these important topics. When I think about mm-hmm. one year from now and the industry, I do think there's an opportunity for greater attention on employees and like employee advocacy. You know, having Mm -hmm. had the opportunity to work in PR, you know, in my career journey, that discipline really showed me the importance of using employees as a a key stakeholder in a marketing plan. People, you know, with the great resignation, um, with greater flexibility of working from home, Employees are feeling more empowered. And I think a year from now, there'll not only be a greater importance in understanding and taking the temperature of your employees, um, but using them for marketing, employee advocacy, because they're, they're trusted. You know, people trust employees, regular employees, more than they trust CEOs. I mean, they bought into the vision and they're yes. spending their time there. Yes, yes. And then now, and if they if they don't buy into it anymore, they and leave. Then that's a problem, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so I think that's really interesting in the next year. In 10 years, one of the things that's fascinating for me, you know, I've always been in marketing services, but now I'm specifically in market research. And mm-hmm. the fascinating thing for me is seeing that market research is probably about 10 years behind advertising in Mm. terms of some of the M&A activity and some of the things that are happening strategically. Like when I joined Leo Burnett um, after college, maybe about a year later, they were bought by Publicis and Mm -hmm. really changed the dynamic of things. Um, And that happened with a lot of agencies. So there's a lot of consolidation that happened in the advertising industry. That consolidation really started happening more recently in market research the interesting thing about advertising was the models and ways of working really forced agencies to work together in a way that they weren't necessarily prepared for. And I'm seeing more of that happening in market research. I do think more collaboration. Um, I think greater employee power. I think those are those are some key things. So, so,
0: so. interesting. And those trends are are definitely, I mean, Really excited to see what comes of them and, of course, the challenges that will come along with them. But, Janelle, thank you so, so much for
1: joining me. It's been incredible getting to know you and hearing all your insights. Appreciate the opportunity to share. And um, I've been enjoying actually listening to your podcast. So um, (laughs) excited to hear more. This is such a great idea.
0: (laughs) I appreciate it. Okay. Good luck to you. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by WIN, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakal. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.